0: We are going to go to Ezekiel. Oftentimes, when we uh, pick our devotions or when we're reading, we don't necessarily go to the book of Ezekiel. But um, as I was studying this week and earlier on, I was um, just—I was going to go in a different direction. And we are talking—we've been talking about theological issues of in the Bible and larger themes. And um, just the Lord brought this to mind. This text and passage with with all that is going and taking place down in Texas and in Florida and I uh, just know that uh, it is a it is a challenge but also as we look at tragedy the picture of tragedy and how do we respond as believers in Christ to tragedy suffering what is the role of it you know we we can look at it from a theological perspective of that oh yeah it's because of sin And there's those who will quickly denounce and say, you know what, um, this is judgment upon all the sinful people. But as we look at it, what is the role of tragedy? And so we're going to go to Ezekiel, and we're going to be reading chapter 24. I'm sorry, I didn't even tell you, and it's not up there. But um, Ezekiel chapter 24, and we're going to be beginning in verse 15. And I'll be reading out of the New King James and sometimes I'll the Holman Christian as well. But Ezekiel chapter 24, and we're be, beginning in chapter, excuse me, verse 15. Also the word of the Lord came to me saying, Son of man, behold, I take away from you the desire of your eyes with one stroke. Yet you shall neither mourn nor weep nor shall tears run down. Sigh in silence. Make no mourning for the dead. Bind your turban on your head and put your sandals on your feet. Do not cover your lips and do not eat man's bread of sorrow. So I spoke to the people in the morning and at the evening my wife died. And the next morning I did as I I was commanded. Then the people asked me, won't you tell us what these things you are doing mean for us? So I answered them. The word of the Lord came to me. Say to the house of Israel, this is what the Lord God says. I'm about to desecrate my sanctuary, the pride of your power, the delight of your eyes and the desire of your heart. Also, the sons and daughters you left behind will fall by the sword. Then you will do as I have done. You will not cover your mustache. You will, not, you will eat the bread of mourners. Your turbans will remain on your heads and your sandals on your feet. You will not lament or weep, but will waste away because of your sins and will groan to one another. Now, Ezekiel will be a sign for you. You will do everything that that he has done. When this happens, you will know that I am the Lord, Yahweh. And you, son of man, will it not be the day when I take from them their stronghold, their joy, and their glory, the desire of their eyes, and that on which they set their minds, their sons and their daughters? On that day, one who escapes will come to you to let you hear it with your ears. On that day your mouth will be open to him who has escaped you and shall speak and no longer be mute. Thus you will be assigned to them, and they shall know that I am he, the Lord. Shall we pray? Heavenly Father, we just thank you so much for your word. And as we look at it and see here from the lesson of Ezekiel, what takes place, we just ask that you might help us to understand but also see how we can learn about you. And, Father, may we not be about about the Israelites. And may we not be about those who are in exile, just simply to see how it benefited them. But, Lord, help us to see within the picture of who you are. God, you are a loving God, merciful, gracious, but also a just God and must punish sin. But, God, it isn't just Unworthy. And we just ask that you might help us to respond in a way which will honor you, to lift you up. In Jesus' name we ask it. Amen. As we look at the book of Ezekiel, and let me give you some background because Ezekiel, most of the time you don't open your Bible and say, I'm going to start reading in the book of Ezekiel. What is taking place in Ezekiel? Who was Ezekiel as we look at? But um, as we look through the slides here, let me first define for you what is tragedy. So as we go to the next slide and see tragedy. And so tragedy as you click on that you'll see the definition a very sad or tragic event and I'm sorry my font isn't large enough I'll make sure that the font is bigger you're gonna have to read far away but is a tragic event or disaster as we look at tragedy. We can define tragedies in many different ways, but as we see what has been taking place in our world, um, sometimes you might think, um, if you have a young person living in your house, you know there's tragedies that they occur every day. It's a tragedy for them if you don't cook them their favorite food, or it's a tragedy if you know it fell on the floor. Something occurs there, but tragedies, something that has taken place that truly has affected society, and as we see here, looking at in Texas taking place in Florida, a loss of a home. That would be a tragedy, at least to us. But for us, those lives who have been lost because we know there's lives been lost to Irma already, it doesn't really affect us. But how does, how does it affect us? As we look at humankind and within the picture, does that change who God is? Is that fair? Those are some of the questions maybe we don't ask, but people ask. So much of the book in Ezekiel contains prophecies or oracles written in the first person, allowing the reader an insight into the author's personal life. Kind of intrusive, if you will. If you think about it, imagine, it's one thing to have company in, but imagine if they follow you all around your house or your life. I don't know if you've ever had to do an internship, or maybe you've had an intern, and they follow you all around, and they spend all the time with you. They would see, you know, oh, look how messy your sink is, where you... um, where you have <laughs> working or, you know, in the morning, or how you keep your house. Sometimes that would be very intrusive. You're like, whoa, wait a second, revealing. But here, Ezekiel really allows the nation of Israel, those who are in exile, in. And it uses this personal, this tone, son of man, which occurs 93 times, and he's used that as a title for Ezekiel. He says to him, son of man. And Ezekiel, the word Ezekiel refers to God strengthens. It's mentioned only two times in the book and nowhere else in the, in the Old Testament. Ezekiel was a priest and a prophet who wrote much uh, about the exiles in Babylon. Remember, the nation of has been taken and the southern kingdom. The northern kingdom went in 722 and in 586 they were taken to Babylon. And in chapters 2, 1 through 10 contains the calling of Ezekiel and the judgment of sinful Israel. If you think about it, Ezekiel, he was told, okay, guess what, Ezekiel, you're going to be mute for a little while. Ezekiel, you're going to have to lay down. And literally, the nation of Israel, they knew him as a prophet. He would lay down, okay? I think it was like 930, um, 690 days. He'd be like, all right, you know, just give me a posturepedic or a nice gel, comfortable uh, mattress, and I'll lay down for that period of time. But he had to lay down, and then he says, turn over to the other side. Because, you know, we don't want you to get a bed sore. But no, but... If you think about it, and what does this mean? The people understood that he was a messenger from God, but what does that mean? That's kind of crazy. (coughs) And so, during his during the exile, and during that time, in 586, um, they don't use the term A.D. I think it's um, I forget what C.E. What um, I was just looking at it B.C.E. B.C.E. Before the Common Era. Thank you. I was going through with someone's homework. I was like, oh boy. Have to get used to that. BCE, before the common area. But really, BCE, as we know, before Christ. But 586, and so what takes place is Jerusalem falls. And these things all occur. So in chapters 1 through 23 of Ezekiel, Ezekiel has dramatized the fall of Jerusalem. And he uses sin as bricks. A sharp sword, clapping and uh, stomping. You know, imagine, he's getting people's attention. He goes there, and you know, sometimes they make noise. And it'd be like, if you think about it, back in the era... Of when someone was on the, they call it soapbox or the box, and trying to get people's attention as they pass by. If you if you think about it, a sign spinner. Imagine having the sign job of a sign spinner. You're just trying to get attention. Usually they're like this with the earphones on, you know, sign spinner. Some of them do pretty good. They do the sign or pizza dough. I know in New York City they used they have pizza dough contests where they spin the dough around and do tricks. It rolls down their shoulders and all around. It's kind of cool, but they try to get people's attention. And here, Ezekiel does some of the same things he's used, but they're meaningful. They're pictures. The clapping, stomping, crying, digging, visions of instruction, the temple abandonment of God's glory, the use of parables emphasizing Israel's rebellion and harlotry against God. In chapter 24, God uses Ezekiel as a dramatic sign to get the Israelites' attention that he is the true God. Even as I was reading before, you know, in chapter 24, it talks about a cooking pot. Imagine, he says, you're all like a stew, you know, and here some of you are good meat. Some of you are hind shank. Some of you are are really the bad rubbery part of meat in a stew, you know, and he goes on and gives the picture. But as we arrive to verse 15, there's a little bit of, not change, but we see all of a sudden it becomes very personal to Ezekiel. And as we look at this, you know, the lesson is the it's I've entitled this message of the blessing in tragedy. How can there be a blessing in tragedy? But a lesson we learn is that God strengthens his children through a tragedy. And that is important because we need to understand that that God strengthens his children through tragedies. So first thing we want to look at is verse 15 through 18 is the fact that tragedies occur to God's children. Despite what some of those in other circles may say is that, hey, you know what? If you pray, if you give your money, if you do follow after God, everything's going to be great. You will get what you want. Just pray and have faith. That's not always what occurs. In fact, sometimes it's like, what happened? I became a Christian, and now everything's gotten worse. But tragedies occur to God's children. So let's look at what occurs specifically as we go through again. In this passage, and as we see in verses 15 through 18, and so first we see that tragedies affects our families. Tragedies affects the families, and here we see Ezekiel. He was obeying God. He was being used by God, but yet a tragedy still occurred in his life, and we know that it's not because of any sin that he did. It was a lesson that he was using. So it says here, in chapter twenty-four, and starting at verse fifteen to sixteen, then the word of the Lord came to me, son of man, I am about to take away, take the delight of your eyes away from you with a fatal blow, but you must not lament or weep or let your tears flow. Boy, that almost rhymes. It's, but in the Hebrew, the picture, but the delight of your eyes. Now, some may interpret this and say this could be this in your life. Specifically, we know that this was his wife. We know that someone who was his beloved, who he cared about. And we even know from the context that she dies. Now, we can give application of saying, you know, this is even, as you think about it, in our own lives, what occurs and what was occurring to the life of the nation of Israel was idol worship. Anything that is, takes a p- place or as a priority between you and God is an idol. And while some may say, you know, it could be, you know, your car, your house, your children, your family. And it wasn't meant as a punishing thing here. Here, this was a lesson to the nation of Israel telling them that, hey, you have put before God, which was the first love, you have put other things in place, and they were other gods. And here, Ezekiel, innocent Ezekiel, who is, who is one who is a servant of God, had to really commit his life to following after God and doing some of these what we would call unusual and strange tasks, and then all of a sudden God takes away his wife. And not only does he take away his wife, he couldn't even mourn, but we'll see looking at that. So as we see as a tragedy, it affects his family. And tragedies don't affect just us, it affects our families, those uh, events that occur, the death of his wife. Secondly, it affects priorities. God's children, it affects their priorities. The delight of your eyes with a fatal blow. Ezekiel's wife to him was the most beautiful woman in the world. When I was in Bible college, um, there was a fellow who said, beauty is in the eye of the beholder. If I be holding her, she be beautiful. But the things that we possess, the things that we care about, you know, we, we, we think that they're pretty. It might be a painting. It might be something, wow, that looks beautiful. Someone else might say, that is the ugliest thing in the world. You know, all babies, oh, aren't they beautiful? Yes, that's a very beautiful baby. You know, some babies are not beautiful. In in the beholder of everyone, they come out, they, and I've seen them, you know, come out cesarean section, they look very natural and nice, but sometimes they come out the birth canal, their head is cone-shaped, they look like this, oh, isn't the most beautiful baby? And you're like, yes, that's a, a beautiful baby, beautiful in God's eyes, aesthetically, they will become you know, more attractive, but beauty. And so we see here, but the, the priority of Ezekiel, as we see the delight of your eyes with a fatal blow, going to die, the priorities. Tragedies get our attention because it affects directly those things that we care about. If something occurs to your house, if you went home and, you know, your house had gone, you'd be like, that affects you both. Emotionally, physically, everything. It's a priority in your life because you need a place to live. But also it affects their emotions. It affects God's children. Tragedies affects emotions. And here it says, would not be allowed to mourn. We are made in the image of God. Each of us have natural expressions. We have personalities. Some are funny. Some are very serious. I'm um, I've been driving a lot and I listen sometimes to Agatha Christian. It talks about the English composition, and composition. I mean, is if you have an English background, there's certain characteristics that are are characteristic to the English persona, especially during the time after World War One, especially the upper class. It was if you showed emotion, you know, you could lose everything, and the standard English re- response would be, "Wow, that is a very bad thing." But it was you couldn't tell. There would be. Um, expressionless, and they looked at that with pride as with an, a way of honor. The English, it was a, a picture of, you know what, building up what you lost. They, they find strength in tragedy when you lost, you know, someone who comes out of there, whereas sometimes, as I mentioned before, in the Western world, we, we think, oh, I want to be like that successful person, but sometimes there is more, they, the English see more strength in someone who has been cast and has gone through difficulty because they're still handling it. And so they, we see va- they see value in that. And so as we see, think about the emotional aspect, you know, sometimes we respond, there are those who respond in a very exacting way, like, okay, I'm going to think logically, what do I do? There's those who lose all self-control. But tragedies do affect us one way or another, and we see there's a cycle as we go through grief, as we go through events that occur in our life, whether we want to hide it or suppress it, They often occur, and we express it many different ways. If you think about it emotionally, there's that parent who may come home, they had a hard day at work, they come home, oh, you know, the dog, you know, they kick the dog because, get out of my way, that's how they kind of relieve that stress, or or break something. Guys are about, like, destruction, break something, that's why in high school they would break a wall. Women are different, you know, they need to talk to someone, express it, get it out of their system sometimes. and it's just different. And one is not necessarily right or wrong. Well, you shouldn't break or damage or kick your dog. But we're emotional beings. And here, understanding grief, that's how we express. In the, As I go quickly, just look at some of the expressions of emotions. What was the way of mourning? Here it says Ezekiel would not be allowed to mourn. And that's a natural expression. We understand that there has to be some type of mourning or expression. And here, mourning we see in different passages. Jacob mourned 70 days. Aaron and Moses, you had these individuals throughout the Old Testament who mourned, and the expression of mourning. You have weeping. Genesis 35 talks about weeping and loud uh, lamentations, groaning. You have removing of one's turban or sandals as an expression of mourning. Some of these we don't understand because they're cultural. If someone takes off your shoes and says, oh, I'm in mourning, they'd be like, put them back on, please, because I'll be in mourning after I smell them. But it's just not that. It, it's, it's a cultural understanding what was taking place. Eating special morning bread. Tearing of clothes. Wearing of sackcloth. Sprinkling of dust or ashes. We think of Job and these individuals of what is taking place. We know that there's a mourning. We see sometimes as wearing a black. Oh, that's there in mourning. But often it doesn't occur anymore. The shaving of the head. The plucking out of the beard or hair. The neglect of person, of removing of the ornaments or of jewelry at that time indicated it. Uh, the fasting, where they don't eat anything. Disfigurement of the person, sitting in silence. Sometimes we just want to be alone, off to ourselves, not dealing with anyone. Those were specific signs of mourning. Nowadays, sometimes we wouldn't necessarily know if someone's in mourning, maybe crying or, or things that occur. But here, these were visible signs and, and it was okay to express them. Even as we know, there were those who sometimes in the Middle East, you may not know it, but they have people who are paid to go behind and wail and uh, yell and and make noise because, hey, I want everyone to know that someone died. Emotional, that response of mourning. But here, Ezekiel, you aren't allowed to do that. And that drew the attention because there were visible signs of mourning, and also in Ezekiel, who's a, a visible figure, and now you're not mourning. What's going on? And even the response. What does that mean, as he says, as the people say? They spoke to the people in mourning, wife died in the evening. The next morning I did just as I was commanded. Verse 19, the people ask, Won't you tell us what these things, what you're doing, mean for us? Interesting because they're very selfish people. They don't say, Ezekiel, you've lost your wife. How are you feeling? Why aren't you mourning? They say, what do these things mean to us? What does that mean to me? Oh, no, does that mean that I'm going to lose my my family members? Very interesting to see that. But anyway, what we learn is also tragedies occur as opportunities. As we see, what does that mean for us? And then it says he answers them. In verse 20, so I answered them, the word of the Lord came to me, say to the house of Israel, this is what the Lord God says, I am about to desecrate my sanctuary, the pride of your power, the delight of your eyes, and the desire of your heart. One thing you have to remember, they were in exile, they are in Babylon, and they always longed for the homeland, the homeland, and especially Jerusalem. Also, the sons and daughters you left behind will fall by the sword, their family, what is going to occur to them, those who they cared about. Your turbans will remain on your heads and your sandals on your feet. You will not lament or weep, but will waste away because of your sins. And I will groan to one another. They aren't going to even be allowed to mourn as a practice. And so as we think about these tragedies that occur as opportunities, what does that mean? First of all, people watch tragedies. When a tragedy occurs, we can't help but see. When you're driving along the tender driving along on the highway, you see this trip twisted, crumpled piece of metal and you see people alongside your first thought is oh are they hurt what has happened has there been a disfigurement is there blood everywhere rubbernecking you know we see it on the tv that's why you know the news they want to get the most graphic story if it if it's just simple oh how can we spice it up to make people interested because people oh they're used to seeing this now we want them to see something more graphic and that's why i have to be careful even of what takes place but people watch tragedies Also, people will listen to tragedy victims. Verse 19 to 21, they were ready to hear what happened, what um, Ezekiel had to say because he went through a tragedy. And if you think about it, when someone has gone through a tragedy or a loss, their story is compelling to us. We want to listen and we feel sympathy. We feel sometimes sorry. We feel um, connected of, oh, wow, what you've gone through. Ezekiel tells them, you know, and says, hey, this is what's going to take place, Israel. This is what's going to occur. But also, people need others during tragedies. They need help. As we look at verse 23, and it states and says here, this is what's going to occur to you. They need help from others during tragedies. And from a believer's standpoint, both for ourselves when we go through tragedies we need to be aware of allowing to be receiving help but also being aware of others who are going through tragedies because that may be an opportunity that we have to share Christ with them but also when we're going through a tragedy that may be a way of we can communicate Christ through them it's not wrong to receive help from an unbeliever if anything it's a picture of Christ but how you respond how you react it's not always easy. I'll be honest. When, we, when tragedy comes into our life, our first response is to feel completely sorry for ourselves of what we've lost. It's just a natural. Wait a second. Possessions. A theft. I think about a robbery. Imagine someone's taken everything in your house. Your first response is, that, you know, I am so happy for that person. Now maybe they'll, they'll come to Christ. You know, it's like, hey, wait a second. First of all, you're violent. They come into our house and taken things. You don't want justice. You want them to go to prison and rot. You know, they took some of the things that you use every day. It's like, wait a second. I used it. Oh, I can't believe I've lost that. You've taken that now. Why? Sometimes we ask why. But as we think about go through the grieving even that of loss or taking, you know, something, oh, you know, I didn't need that. Or It's like, oh, you know what? You've just made my life more difficult. I have to go through all these things and get it and, oh, I'll buy this or, you know what? Why'd you do that? Why couldn't it occur to someone else who's more spiritual? But as we look at it and go through and, you know, then there's an opportunity for us to see God's blessing in that tragedy. And it seems unusual, but blessing. It's not always material blessing to know that God is present. To think, we start to think about, well, safety, or it could have been worse. We're thankful it didn't happen here or other events. And we look at it. But tragedies can be opportunities as we think about what takes place for both a believer to interact with unbelievers, but also for us to be a blessing to those who do not know Christ because they don't know how to handle it. They're going to just cry for justice. They're going to cry, oh, you know, I've lost everything. What do I do? I, I don't have anywhere to turn to. That's why, even the local church, as we think about a community, body of believers, to love and pray for one another, but if if one of your brothers and sisters in Christ says, do you know what, this occurred? You know what, I'm not going to have groceries next week. You say, you know what, I'm going to pray for you. Pray that someone brings you groceries. You know, and you know, pray that that happens. Hopefully you don't do that. You think about it, you know, say, hey, you know what, I'm going to help you with food or, or something that occurs, something that takes place. You know, we, we try to interact with that, the, them and help them, the physical, to live. Because if they can't live, then they can't even think. You're dealing with the daily struggles of life. That's why it's so hard even for work. But opportunities to bless them, to, to show them Christ, a picture of who God is. God is loving and just, and even though this tragedy has occurred in your life, it doesn't mean that he's forgotten you. It may help us evaluate, say, wait a second, what do I need to get right with God? But this tragedy is an opportunity. The other thing we see is that tragedies occur to teach us. In verse 24 to 27, all that was taking place in the life of Ezekiel and in this book was a lesson to the nation of Israel. That guess what? You're in sin. You have lived wrongly. Verse 24 through 27, it states, as we see here. And they. Sh- Sorry, the page turned. Then Ezekiel. Thus Ezekiel is assigned to you, according to all that he has done, you shall do. And when this comes, you shall know that I am the Lord God. And you, son of man, or Ezekiel, will it not be in that day when I take from them their stronghold, their joy and their glory, because it wasn't God. The desire of their eyes and that on which they set their minds, their sons and their daughters, all their family back in Jerusalem, what they placed as being of value, and it's sometimes when I get back to Jerusalem, when we go back there. On that day, your mouth will be open to him who has escaped you and shall speak and no longer be mute. Thus you, shall, you will be a sign to them, and they shall know that I am the Lord. Remember, he couldn't speak on his own, only what God told him to speak. Sometimes we wish people had the gift of muteness, but this was Ezekiel saying, hey, guess what? He only spoke what God told them to speak. Only spoke what God had him speak to the people. But the lesson was both to Ezekiel, I believe, but also specifically to the nation of Israel in exile. And first thing we see is that God does not give us more than we can handle. We see that in verse 24 and 27. Ezekiel, you just lost your wife. He could have just come unglued what he cared about the most. But yet this is a sign to you. You know, and then he gives them hope. You will no longer be mute. You will be able to talk. A sign that God's judgment has passed and now will bring hope to his people. Even though these things occur. Example of Ezekiel teaches us about fortitude. Loving others more than God and our personal faith. Fortitude of going through trials and difficulties. Are they pleasurable? No. But in them, in the storm, in the difficulty, we still see Christ. We still see a picture of who God is. And there is hope. One blessing and beautiful thing that when judgment or when tragedy comes from God, it isn't just tragedy, it isn't just wrath from God. However, we won't want to be there, as it talks about in Revelation, when it comes time, as we see that in the future, because that will be God's wrath poured out and there will be no mercy. But as we live at this time, we see that it's taking place, that there is hope to love others more than God, and our personal faith can grow because we're trusting in our Savior. Also, God wants us to be a witness and a testimony to others. And we can see just a picture of that in verse 25 and 26 of, hey, we need to be concerned about others. This isn't just about ourselves. And while we are dealing with the issue ourselves personally, someday, whether it be in the future or presently, what occurs to us affects others around us. And we can see it as a lesson as well. But we can learn from others' tragedies, and we can teach others through our own tragedies. When something tragic occurs in your life, it directs us effectively. effectively. Sorry, it's a new tongue. Just trying it out. It affects us directly. But it also, it does not just affect us exclusively. The story after sometimes can be an encouragement to someone else who's going through a difficult time, whether it be of cancer, whether it be a family situation, whether it be a, a loss of a job. While it can be painful, it can also be a lesson of fortitude, a teaching to others. As we think about those stories of great Christians or people who have gone before Abraham Lincoln many of us know the story of Abraham Lincoln of what occurred to him how he was rejected how he faced scrutiny and difficulty even from a young girl who says you should wear a beard because your face is so ugly or you know I mean obviously understanding the hey you know criticism but yet he endured and he you know was a president as we look about that we we can revel but also see the picture of those it helps us reminds us but it also can be affect others as well. And what occurs, we can learn from others, but also what occurs in our lives can teach others. And then finally, we see that God is in control, verse 24 through 27, as we must never forget that God is sovereign and in control of his creation. We must never place anything or anyone above our love for God. Let me repeat that. Because God is sovereign in control of his creation, we must never place anything or anyone above our love for God. That is hard, because in our lives we need certain things, and sometimes we get something that, oh, wow, this is, is so wonderful. I'm glad to have it. But we must never let anyone, whether it be husband, wife, friend, child, parent, family member, friend, our work, anything in our lives, be more important than God as a priority, and that's difficult, but our vertical relationship will always affect our horizontal relationships. If we are in a right relationship with God and understanding, it'll be demonstrated in how we interact with others around us. So first and foremost, if you're here this morning and never place your trust in Jesus Christ as your personal Savior, today I would encourage you to make it today because that is a priority because to know for sure that you are going to heaven the Bible promises that you can know for sure that you have eternal life. As we look at the picture of the Bible we see what is taking place and it all points ahead to what will occur. It says they shall know that I am God. One way or the other it says every knee shall bow and every tongue shall confess that Jesus Christ is lord and he is king as we sung about and so as we look at in closing his supreme desire is to glorify himself through whatever means he sees fit he sees fit whatever he chooses even in tragedy god's supreme desire is to glorify himself through whatever he chooses this is a theological concept that is difficult for us to understand but guess what he is god he is separate from his creation and so, but also that has hope as well in choosing that. Because the next thing we see is that no tragedy is in vain that occurs in our lives. No tragedy is in vain that occurs in our life. Our response is what is important. It needs to demonstrate a life wholly surrendered to God. No matter how difficult it comes in surrendering when that tragedy occurs. But but there's hope because it's not in vain. So maybe you're here this morning and going through a difficult circumstance, a difficult time. Maybe as you see, God is you think, God has forgotten me. He hasn't forgotten you. He desires that you walk closely with him and grow in your in your walk and understanding of who he is. He loves you and cares about you. And then finally, as an exaltation as we think about it, the Lord takes. Excuse me, the Lord gives and the Lord takes away. Praise the name of Yahweh, or the Lord, in Job 121. Blessed be the name of the Lord. That's literally as we see. Praise the Lord of Yahweh, the God of all. Shall we pray?